0: Before we start tonight, I just want to reiterate the warm welcome that's already been given a couple of times this evening. Whether it's your first time with us tonight or you've been coming for years, we'd love to get to know you after the meeting over there. You can help me stop eating a whole bowl of chocolate buttons, which has been happening a lot of this summer. (laughs) If we've not met before, my name is Callum. I've been part of Grace Church for four years now, first coming as a student also to study music in September 2015 then I was an intern here at the church last year, and now I have a job in finance. Don't ask me how I got that. (laughs) Tonight we're taking a break from our wonderful summer series on radical welcome and having a one-off message. And it's the bank holiday weekend, and looking around, it looks like a lot of our friends are away on holiday. And perhaps you wish that you were on holiday too. Well, I thought, tonight, why don't we Go on an imaginary holiday together. <laughs> and the first question we have to ask ourselves is, well, where are we going to go? Not that you have to go anywhere on holiday, but for the sake of tonight, where are we going to go? Perhaps with weather like this weekend, you want to go to the countryside. You take yourself off to the Peak district in the car. You enjoy a walk. You know when you go through the fields with all the sheep and then you have to climb over that funny thing at the end to get out? Maybe that's your idea of the perfect bank holiday. Or perhaps you're into the opposite, which is my kind of thing. You like a city break. You take yourself off somewhere where you can visit all the sites, the museums, the art galleries, sit down with a cup of coffee. You consider yourself a bit cultured, maybe. <laughs> um, or perhaps you're a bit of an adrenaline junkie. You like to take yourself off to the mountains and go skiing. It's something my dad used to do a bit when he was younger, and both my brothers have done, but it doesn't appeal to me. Well. We're not going to do any of those things tonight, unfortunately. Instead, we're going to go on a cruise. (laughs) Now, I've never actually been on a cruise. I don't know if any of you have. Perhaps you could tell me after. But I grew up in Southampton, and often you go into town, and you look in the distance, and you'd say to your friend, what's that new building over there, and how did it come up so quick? And they'd say, no, Callum, it's not a building, it's a cruise ship. And um, when my brother first moved to Birmingham, he saw the hospital there, and his first thought was it was a cruise ship, despite being (laughs) nowhere near the sea. Now picture this. Instead of being on a cruise ship, we're actually going to be on a boat, maybe big enough for about 15 people. So some of you won't actually make it on. You can give us like a goodbye wave (laughs) from the shore. There are oars on each side, so if you're feeling particularly strong and servant-hearted tonight, you can row. In the middle, there's a mast with a sail coming down. And instead of the vastness of the ocean, we're going to be on a lake. One of the gospel writers, Luke, who's not Jewish, he's a bit more well-traveled around the Mediterranean, he's seen the sea. He knows it's not really a sea, but it's a lake. So that's the setting of the passage we're looking at tonight. We're on a small boat on a lake. So I'm going to read from John chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible, please turn there, but the words will also be on the screen. But before we read, I'd like to just remind you that the book of John is one of what we call the Gospels, which is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus alongside Matthew, Mark and Luke. And today's seaside story comes between a miracle regarding bread and a lengthy, confusing discussion about bread. So it's kind of like the filling of a seafood sandwich, you know, like a tuna sweet corn or a... Salmon, if you're a bit fancy. My favorite is actually a prawn mayo, if I'm getting a Tesco meal dough. I had one yesterday. Um, But that's not relevant. What is relevant is our passage, which is John 6, verses 16 to 21, and I'm reading from the ESV. This is what it says. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now this is quite a simple story. It's short, just five verses long, perhaps easy to skim over and move on when you're reading the Bible in your own time, which is something I'm particularly guilty of. Particularly when you look at a chapter this long, you sort of read the whole thing and forget about this kind of story. But tonight we're not going to do that. We're going to rewind to the beginning and go through it slowly, bit by bit. So first we read that the disciples go down to the sea. Now the question we have to ask, considering they are Jesus' disciples, and which means they're followers of Jesus, is, well, where is Jesus if they're following him? And to answer this question, we have to step back to the verses before. So, as I alluded to earlier, Jesus has just done this miracle of feeding thousands with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And this happened on the mountainside, and as a response to this miracle, the people wanted to make Jesus king by force. They thought that he would take them out of servitude to the Roman Empire who had possession of Israel at the time. This is not what Jesus wanted, so he withdraws up the mountain to pray. He sends the disciples down the mountain to go ahead of him. They get into a boat, and they head out at evening, and then it gets dark, which it tends to do at evening time. Um, But we know that some of the disciples are fishermen, so they know how to control a boat. Surely they will be fine. Jesus had still not yet come the disciples start to struggle. The Sea of Galilee, which is where they are, would often become violent due to geographical reasons to do with the hills around it, the depths of the water. Ask a geography friend, you might know. Um, The wind would get heavy and the waves would um, stir up. Jesus is still up on the mountain. Is he too distracted? Is he too busy? Things are getting a bit tense. Now, I wonder, have you ever been up A really big hill. I don't mean, for some of you students, perhaps the uh, struggle up Portland Hill on campus when you're trying to get to a lecture. I mean, more like the castle behind us across the road when it's open and doesn't look like a big marquee. Um, From up there, well, what can you see? Well, if you've been there, you can tell me that you've seen everything. You know, you look to your right if you're looking out this way. And you see Wooderton Park over there. You see that big power station over there. Trent Bridge, the cricket ground over there. You've got the football stadiums, that little windmill over there. And then um, town over here. You can see it all from up there. Last summer, I visited um, Geneva in Switzerland. My brother was working out there at the time, and I went to see him. And on the Sunday afternoon, we took ourselves out of the city, up this big hill called the Salev. If you're a fan of literature, you might recognize it from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as the place where Frankenstein's monster runs up when he believes that nobody loves him. Fortunately, we didn't run into Frankenstein's monster, but after our little fun cable car ride up, what we did run into, apart from a load of paragliders, was this great view out all across the city. But more importantly than that was we could see all out across Lake Geneva and all of the boats on the lake. Jesus can see the disciples in their struggle from the mountain. He's not too busy and he's not too distracted. He sees and he knows. Do you ever fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus doesn't care about your struggles? That they're too small or they're too big or they're just not worthy of his attention? He sees you when you're alone in your lunch break. He sees you when you face rejection from another job application. He sees you when your rent just looks like too much to pay. He knows about your sick relative. He knows about your family that just won't accept your faith. And he knows when getting out of bed in the morning seems too hard. Be encouraged. Jesus sees and Jesus knows. Jesus sees and Jesus knows. So by this point in the story... It would have been approaching dawn. Matthew tells us in his account of this story that Jesus prayed through the whole night. And having seen them and known their struggle, Jesus comes. But he doesn't come in a normal way. He comes to them walking on the water. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but people can't walk on water. Have you ever tried? Um, perhaps at the end of the meeting, we can get the baptism pool out, put it up together, fill it up, and we can all, one by one, have a go. Does anyone bat themselves? No, I don't think so. Well, we have to ask ourselves, why does he do it? Did he miss the boat and he's trying to catch up? No. Jesus is demonstrating his authority over the sea. At this point in his ministry, the disciples had been following him some time, witnessing his miracles and listening to his teaching, but they didn't yet know he is God. He is showing them. Now, to illustrate this, I want to take you back to my university experience. At uni, I considered myself a bit of a composer, which is quite funny because I picked Nottingham because composition was optional, ended up doing all of it. Um, Some of my compositions were pretty bad. Others were just bad. They usually involved um, quite a lengthy bassoon solo, um, (laughs) which was played by myself to get me out of um, conducting the piece. Um, My favorite one I ever did, not because of the musical quality, but just because of the nature of the piece, was we had a module where you had to compose um, music for short clips from a silent film. And the silent film we were given was sort of like a 1920s depiction, all in black and white, of life in Russia. And um, the clip I really wanted to write music for involved a load of presumably farmers with sheep throwing them kind of into a river. And then it's like, all well, these clips of these sheep bobbing along. Um, and the way we got allocated the clips was uh, we drew a number out of a hat, and number one got to pick first right through to the end. I was second from last, which was a bit devastating at the time. But fortunately, no one else was a bit weird enough to want this sheep clip that it got all the way through to me, and I still got it, that I exclaimed rather too loudly, thank you, Jesus, in front of the class. (laughs) But what would happen after we um, had written the music for the piece is it would tend to be performed. And now a performance requires rehearsals. It requires getting people together, which is often quite difficult. Um, But during the rehearsal time, if I wanted something to be different, I had the authority to change it. I was the creator, I was the composer, it was my work. If I said to someone, actually, well, I've written that to be loud, I want less of you, they had to do it, because I had the authority. The Bible makes clear that Jesus was active in creation, that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds, that is, to maintain or sustain all things by his powerful words. Jesus walks on the water because he's able to. He has the right to. It is a powerful, visible demonstration of Jesus' sovereignty over the world that he created. And it's unique to him. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of uh, being part of a team that took our young people to a festival called New Day. And um, in one of the morning sessions for the older ones, we had a pastor called Andrew Wilson talk on this same story, but from a different gospel, which I was very relieved about. Um, But you may understand that I broke the rules and was furiously taking notes um, on my phone. That was the rule breaking that was on my phone. Um, And what he said of this was that it's unique to Jesus because it doesn't just say that the kingdom is here. It says that the king is here. Now, our story doesn't make clear how Jesus was walking on the water. It just says that they saw Jesus walking on the sea. But the fact that he is walking demonstrates that he has calmed the sea. You know, it doesn't say that they saw Jesus kind of stumbling on the sea, like tripping over the waves with the wind blowing in his hair. You can imagine I have a bit more hair. Um, it says that he walked. And this is Significant. And I, I don't want to move on from this too quickly. The disciples in the boat were Jewish, and they were familiar with that Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, the sea would often stand for chaos and disorder. The Jewish cultural view at the time saw the sea as a scary place. It was full of monsters, which is evident if you read books like Psalms or Job in your own time. Israel would also face invasions from the sea, which I can imagine weren't very fun. However, the Old Testament also makes clear that God alone has mastery over the sea. You know, when I read the Old Testament, I read things like this about God Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. He alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Jesus comes, he shows his authority. He brings calm from chaos. In Jesus, the God-man, divine authority meets with a physical walking on the waves and the laws of creation bow down to the Lord of creation. He came treading the waves and so he puts all the tumults of life under his feet. Christians, why be afraid? Writes the church father Augustine. Not only does Jesus see and know your situation, but he comes to you bringing calm in the midst of chaos God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform he plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm but that's not quite where our story ends there's more to it what happens next it tells us that the disciples were frightened I recently watched the film Jaws for the first time. I don't know um, if everyone's seen it. Um, But I can understand that there are lots of scary things in the sea. But as we've already said, some of them, including John himself, were fishermen. So they would have been used to all sorts of things on the water. But what they weren't used to was someone walking on it. Other accounts of this story say that they thought Jesus was a ghost. At the start of this chapter, we read that it was Passover time, which means that the full moon would have been in the sky, beaming down on the water, which is kind of eerie. But then Jesus greets them. It says, I, do not be afraid. His words bring reassurance. His presence banishes fear, and the disciples are glad to take him into the boat. Then it tells us that they were immediately at their destination, which is kind of mad. And I... Similarly, had a story like this happen to me, though albeit a bit less supernatural. Um, I was going away for the weekend, about April last year, you know, heatwave sort of time, with some friends. And I, I don't know why I had as much stuff as I did, but I was carrying a lot of stuff. And it was a long and perilous journey from one side of Lenton to another. <laughs> Which if you know me, you'll know that I live in Lenton. I don't have a car, so to see me walking across Lenten is not uncommon. But as I already said, this time was different. It was hot. I had a lot of stuff. It was a bit of a struggle. But, you know, I started making my way. I was going uphill, you know, up Derby Road, that kind of way. And every, like, two minutes, I had to put my bags down because it was too heavy. So I I prayed, like, a quick prayer. I said, God, I don't know how you can do this, but I need to get there, and I need your help. And I thought he was going to give me some kind of, like, Popeye arms, like supernatural strength because I I don't have very big muscles. So I picked up my bags and was like, right, what are you going to do? And next minute, this car pulls up alongside me. They wind down the windows, they start like, laughing, they're like, hey, hey. And I'm like, I'm not even going to look at you. I don't know who you are and why you're laughing. And then they start calling my name. And I realize it's actually the friends who I'm going away for the weekend with. And they were glad to take me into the car. And immediately, I was at my destination. This is the second miracle that we read of in this story. The boat was in the middle of the sea, it said they'd only gone about three or four miles. But is immediately brought to the other side. The commentator William Barclay writes, "In the presence of Jesus, the longest journey is shorter, and the hardest battle easier. Jesus takes us to our final destination." I used to work as a cleaner, and we find it really hard. And each week at the end, I would end up praying something like this on my walk home from my last job: "God, you got me through it again." You are faithful. You brought me to the other side. And more recently, I started a new job. And I'd already prepared this message before starting when I had a bit more time off. But upon starting and finding it difficult, I felt challenged on whether I believed this or not in my heart. So I prayed it through. And I realized that Jesus sees me when I'm at my desk and I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing that Jesus comes to me when I'm exhausted and fed up in the evenings whilst still adjusting to working full-time with the promise that he'll never leave me or forsake me. And then Jesus brings reassurance that I am saved, that I am his, that he's working all things for my good and nothing can separate me from his love. We know where we're going, which is to be with God forever in a new creation where there is no mourning, crying or pain. And we know the way. His name is Jesus, and journeying with him, we find peace and rest in the midst of troubles. Jesus sees, Jesus comes, and Jesus saves. Perhaps tonight you feel like you're in the middle of the sea, that nobody sees you when you're alone in your room with tears in your eyes, that nobody comes to you when you just really need an arm around your shoulder, that you need saving from your distress. Jesus is the only one that can save fully God Lord over creation and fully man walking on the waves the Bible makes clear that like the disciples at sea we were all lost but that Jesus came to reconcile the world to God if this is new to you or you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus we'd love to chat with you at the end now how do we respond to this story it's not just a cool story though it is pretty cool Well, for starters, we can be more like Jesus. We can choose not to ignore each other's burdens, but see them and come to them. Then we can bear each other's burdens, as the Bible tells us to. You know, the person who's too sick to leave the house, we can go and visit. The new mum who needs a bit of respite, we can support. Or the guy at school who will be alone all summer, we can meet up. But that response is secondary. Our primary response... To this passage is to worship Jesus. And to do this, I want to finish by reading some verses that really nicely sum up our response. They come in Psalm 107. And actually, um, I really enjoyed Ashley bringing them in our worship time last week, but I'm going to bring them again. So, reading from the beginning, this is what it says Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered him from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Then moving down to verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And that's what we want to do this evening. We want to give thanks to the Lord as the one who sees us, who comes to us, and saves us. Why don't we all stand together and I'm going to pray.